This is Brandy, written by Kyle Brooks and based on the screenplay of the same name. Episode 6. Happy Hell, Harry. We would like to remind listeners there are depictions of violence and sexual assault throughout this story. He was the perfect husband. He was the perfect father. When we first met, he was one of the most gentle, polite, and caring people I had ever met. I knew he had his problems in his childhood, but he never really liked to talk about what he went through as a kid. It wasn't really until he and Ava met again that I found out the actual horrendous thing they went through as kids. That's when I found out that he had been adopted after they were all split and their father was taken away. That's when I found out how he got his limp and that his father almost killed him when he beat him so badly he damaged his left leg permanently. Despite all the issues he had in his past, we had a wonderful marriage. We were married within four months of being together. He was never violent towards me in any way. He wouldn't even get angry. If we did argue, it would be me who would be the one shouting, and sometimes it would make me angry how laid back he could be. There would be days, though, where he would go very low in mood and needed to be left alone. He did always like his alone time, but his behavior never led to any warning signs at home that something was wrong or something was going on in terms of any, as I say, violent behavior to himself or, or anyone else. But when the attacks first started not too long after we were married, it was a terrifying time for everyone. There were just homes being invaded all over Maricopa County at random. Or what seemed like at random at the time. I mean, it was just everywhere. And everyone was wondering if, if they would be next. And the whole time, it was my husband. Do you know how hard that is to live with? That happened every time for years. In many ways, I consider my daughter and I his last victims in that sense. I have to live with that guilt forever. His guilt, because he certainly doesn't feel any. I'm sorry. It's still very difficult to talk about. I've had to see a lot of professionals over the years about that fake life he lived with me and my daughter for so long. There's only so many times people can say to you, there was no way you could have known. Because all you do then is think about every single moment you spent together and look for any sign I overlooked. When the crime started, he would be working night shifts at the USPS, so there was nothing suspicious about that. 
That was his job at the depot. He often worked nights. However, just before my daughter was born, he would start coming home in a change of clothes, and I could see he recently showered. So I started to ask questions. I thought he was having an affair while Star was pregnant. But Harry could make me think anything he wanted when he started talking. He could tell me the sky was green and explain why, and I would believe him. He would tell me it was quicker to have a shower at work and leave his work clothes at the depot. That he was working longer hours for the baby and that he was trying to provide more for me. And, and I believed him. He was the last person you would expect to be committing these crimes. That thought didn't even enter my head when all those attacks were happening. Then, then the baby was born and he was at home a lot more. And as you know, the attack stopped. It all seems pretty obvious now, doesn't it? She was a wonderful woman to meet. The strength and resilience of that woman was something I'll never forget. I don't know how she did it. I don't know how she kept going with everything she had been through, but she she was certainly a survivor. When she said that she felt that um, her, her daughter and herself were the last victims of Harry, I couldn't agree more. I think the whole family were his last victims. That name Bronte is now synonymous with evil in Arizona, and it always will be. Um, many professionals since in the areas of psychology and criminology have used that interview I had with him in 86 as an educational tool in their sectors. It was one of the most open interviews with a serial killer you could ever have, but also an openness into his deviancy. You have to remember back in the early 1970s, those tools of forensic psychology and profiling were not there as they are today. I believe Bronte became a big part in the understanding and development of that subject. Uh, for instance, many years later, I spoke to Dr. Eileen Croft, a now renowned forensic psychologist and author, who told me that the basis of her whole thesis at college was based on Bronte and that interview I had with him. The Bronte interview was a little before my time, but Harry Bronte was a pure deviant in every sense of the word. There's no doubt about that. We are looking at a complete psychopath here in his narcissism, his Machiavellianism, and of course, his complete lack of empathy for his actions. Do we know if that was always there? No, and we never will. Was Harry Bronte born to kill? That's another very hard one to answer. Yes, fantasy will only take you so far, and eventually that won't be enough, and the individual will find themselves planning and subsequently acting on that fantasy. But if you remove your empathy, how hard is it to act out those fantasies? That's the question. However, I think in Bronte's case, 
even if those behavioral traits were there from birth, and he did develop these domination fetishes in his adolescence, that doesn't completely account for what he would later do. I think Harry Bronte was far too complex to say it was simply nurture or it was simply nature. I believe he was a mixed bag, as we all are, serial killer or not. I think if he did have those traits, as well as a loving, supportive, and nurturing background, those fantasies may never have been acted on. We all know the abandonment by his birth mother left a tremendous impact on him at an early age. He then suffered unbelievable mental and physical abuse by his birth father. Then eventually, when his father was imprisoned and he was split up from his siblings, they were both adopted by one family, and he was left to be taken by another. Again, abandonment in his eyes. He then goes through his early teenage years being ignored by women and feeling that he was the brunt of their jokes due to his limp, that he didn't measure up in his masculinity. That just exasperates his feelings of abandonment, his feelings of not being wanted, and consequently, his hatred for women. All of that hate was relating right back to his birth mother, and it remained so throughout his attacks. He then had to feel in control with women, but be fearful to them. Do I believe he was telling the truth when he said he would only stalk and attack those who were rude to him, those who hurt him? I would say to that, whatever gets you through the night, Harry. He has now become a study. One of the first, probably the, the only thing he ever gave to society. When I spoke to formerly Emma Bronte, I think the most painful part of her ordeal was the night he was captured, the night he came clean, essentially. And of course, the last night she saw him. Well, that night, I heard some movement downstairs. This was about 4 or 5 a.m. I found him sat in his chair in the dark, and he said he couldn't sleep. He then started to talk about when we first met, and how he told me about his time at UCLA and living in California. I just thought he was having regrets about going to work at the USPS when he had a full ride from the UCLA. But it, it wasn't that. He just told me it was all a lie. He had never even been to California in his life. I was confused why he was saying all of this. Then he tells me he was actually in juvie for those years until he was 21. I felt my stomach drop because I got a sense of what was coming next. He told me he was in there for breaking and entering and attempted rape. Everything came crashing down for me at that moment. He suddenly wasn't the man I had known for all those years, and, and there was now this stranger in front of me. It's a little bit of a blur after that, but I remember we started shouting, and I was screaming. Why didn't you tell me this? Ever? He kept saying because he couldn't risk me running away and that he loved me from the very second he first saw me. He couldn't lose that. 
it got very heated and I remember saying, why me? Why did you pick me? And he just said, well, you picked me too. And I remember just saying, I wish I hadn't. It got bad. I was screaming at him. What else don't I know? And it was at that point, at time, I could hear sirens in the distance. And I just knew at that point, it all became clear. He said to me, that will all be clear soon. And he forced us out of the house, took my daughter, and we left for Aver's house. And I remember driving down the road and just seeing the siren lights coming towards us in the distance. Heading towards our house. I'm sorry, that's all I can talk about. Harry Brody and Ken Sharpton had now spent the last evening of Harry's life recounting some of the worst crimes in United States history. The end was nigh for Harry, and the families of his victims rejoiced outside the gates of Arizona State Prison's death row. Ken always felt the final moments of Harry's life were the moments he showed the real damage. Scared little boy hiding behind the monster. You have anything else to add, Harry? I could only add my regret for what I have done. And tonight... I have to accept the final consequences of my actions. How are you feeling about that? Content. Thank you, Harry. Okay, we'll cut it there. What do you think that'll do? I think right now that you just blew the station sky high. I hope it works out good for you. You're good. You're good at what you do. Thank you. Harry, what you said about being content just then, was that true or just some bravado BS? I think so. Even if it isn't, that's what I'm telling myself. Well, Harry, it's been, it's been real. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to say. I feel like I've, feel like I've known you a lot longer than these past hours. Thank you for the time you've given. You're welcome, Ken. Can I ask you something? Or ask you for something. Sure. Stay. Harry, I I can't do that. I can't witness that, please. I'm scared, Ken. I'm real scared. 
Okay, Harry. I'll stay. Thank you. You asked me a while ago if I still believe in God. And would you forgive me? No. No, that is God. Yeah, he was taken away after that. I kept my promise and I stayed. They took him out of the cafeteria and led him to the electric chair. I stood there behind the glass with all those I had interviewed before Harry, all those who knew him, loved him, hated him, and eventually captured him. Yeah, I'll be there when he goes. I'll be there to see him go. It was my friend once a long time ago. But I need to know that evil son of a bitch has shuffled off this mortal coil. And he ain't gonna hurt anyone ever again. He asked me after his trial if I would be there at his execution. And I said, you better believe it, Harry. I'll be there when they pull the switch. That's where it will all end for me. And I can truly put that case at rest, knowing he's gone from this world. I'll go there for the families of the victims and the memory of the brave officers he killed that night, so I can be one of the last faces he ever sees. Of course I'll be there when he goes. I know it's wrong, and I know all of the suffering he caused to so many people, including us. That was unforgivable. But I still need to be there for my little brother when he goes. He's still my brother, and I'll always love him. I know, too, that so many people that will find this hard to understand after everything that they've heard. But wouldn't you be there for your brother when he goes to his death? Yeah, I'll be there on the day with Ava. It's a day that nobody ever wanted to come, but... My brother has to pay for what he did to all them people. I don't know how I'm going to take it on the day. It's hard when everyone else can't wait to see your brother dead and you have to see it. I need to be there with I I can't let my brother die alone, surrounded by people who hate him. They're, they're all points for hating him, believe me, but I have to be there for my family. That's all I got left. I will be there to see him go. I hate him. I hate him so much for what he did. And for what he did to my life. But I love him still, too. He was my husband. He was the love of my life. And he always will be a part of my life. Whether I like it or not. It's hard for me to forget all the good things about him. and All the love he did have inside of him somewhere. 
I left him a long time ago, but I won't let him die alone. We have to show a conscience he never could. I saw him walk into the room with two guards holding on to either arm. And you could see his legs just buckled beneath him as he looked at the chair. He was tied into it. And he just kept his head down the whole time with his eyes closed until he was asked if he had any final words. He just slowly lifted his head, looked around the room at everyone in the eye. And when his gaze fell on me, he just smiled and said, I got nothing more to say. Harry Hosea Brody was declared dead at 11.54 p.m. on October 16th, 1986. The fireworks and parties carried on long into the night. Nobody would claim his body out of fear of desecration. Nobody would want his name. He is now buried in the grounds of Arizona State Prison under his number, 55239. He is now a distant memory of the past, but will always be an ever-present reminder of the atrocities one human being can commit on another. What did we learn? I think we learned, well, we've learned so much about people like Bronte in the decades that have passed since that interview with him. I mean, your Brontes, your Bundys, your Ramirez's, those people are not so different from each other at all in their personalities, their beliefs, their experiences, but they are also so unpredictable. That's what makes them so difficult to nail down. What could I say after it happened? What could I tell people? I attended the execution of a serial killer and I cried. I looked on a monster being put down and felt nothing but loss. Like I had lost a friend that night. Maybe I was another one of his victims <laughs> that night. Maybe I was manipulated. But nobody would understand that. Nobody who didn't actually know the man before there was a beast. Nobody who didn't know there was love inside him, as well as hate. That there were people out there who truly loved him, despite everything. Despite the horrendous things he had done. Once he was a son, a brother, a husband, and a father. What kind of hate would make you trade all of that in? Think about that. What kind of hate would have you become so despised 
after everything, will we ever know? Was he born to be this thing he could not control? Did we make him into that monster? Or as Harry told me, was it a mix of both? I still can't answer that and don't truly believe he ever could. What I do know is that he was here. And I think that's all he wanted us to know. This has been Brandy, written by Kyle Brooks and narrated by Morrison James, featuring the voice talents of Kyle Brooks, Holly Hills, Mark Genicello, Francesca Frazier, Randall Berger, and Ran Matley. Produced by Brotherman. Directed by Kyle Brooks and editing by Dane Brooks. The screenplay Brandy, now available on Amazon.